section. We're also going to have it up on the screen for you. We are in the last week of our series, Prayers of the Saints. I really have enjoyed this series. Uh, I really got to enjoy uh, Pastor Craig's messages and Pastor Tim's messages um, on these different, these different prayers and things that ancient people who have followed the way of Jesus, just like we do, have, have prayed to teach us a little bit more about being a fully surrendered follower of Jesus. And I get to close this out this week. I want to ask a question. Have you ever made a trade? You ever traded something for something else? Yeah? I think, really, if you were to think about it, all you did, because if you think back to elementary school and that brown bag lunch you had, you were, kids and those school lunches, man, they're all about the trade. And they're like, hey, you know what? String cheese for a snack pack? Deal. Here you go. Give me the pudding. And we, do, we trade other things in life all the time. Maybe you've, you're someone who has at some point traded in a car. And you've been like, hey, you know what? You can take this beater and have it and give me some money for it so I can upgrade to something that's a little less of a hoopty. If you did that kind of a trade. You know, it's funny, we actually trade all the time. Anytime we go to the store, we trade money for stuff. It's a convenient thing. At least when you go to the store, you should be trading money for stuff. If you're not, you were stealing. And there, that's on God's top ten, like don't do that list. Don't steal. Today we are talking about a trade. We're talking about a trade that as followers of Jesus we made. And we're going to do that in the context of a prayer by a guy named Martin Luther. Martin Luther is, is one of my, my favorites. Um, not just because he's German like I am. Not just because he, he started the Protestant Reformation, which I, I'm a fan of being a Protestant and all. But Martin Luther was an amazing, amazing example of how to insult someone. You can actually go online and find what they call the Lutheran Martin Luther Insult Generator, where they collect all of the different things that he said as he was doing his writings and arguing with people. And some of them are PG-13, I've warned you, because um, he is German and crazy. But Martin Luther <laughs> was just... Uh, when he would write his letters, he was so passionate that when people disagreed with him, he was like, Arr! In fact, there was a dude named Erasmus, which is a cool old name. And at one point, he went, Erasmus, you donkey! Why would you think that? Well, he didn't say donkey. You can, if, if you've ever read a King James Bible, you can find the, the word that translates into. Martin Luther was an interesting, interesting guy. He actually originally was a Catholic priest and a Catholic monk. And he was ordained to the priesthood in 1507, so a couple of years ago. Um, if any of you were around for that, you know. And if you're around for that, let me know your secret because you're still alive. And he came to reject several teachings and practices in the Roman Catholic Church, mainly the selling of indulgences. And this is a, a huge oversimplification, but indulgences were basically saying, hey, if I give the church this money, 
then my relative is going to get out of some, or myself are going to get out of some time in purgatory. You're going to get forgiveness, in some sense, a forgiveness of sins because I gave them money. And so he wrote up these 95 theses about how some of the stuff that the church at the time was doing was corrupt and wrong, and he nailed them to a church door, which was a kind of a normal thing to do. It sounds weird. Like, if you nailed something to my glass doors, I'd be really upset with you. Um, but it was, how, kind of, it was like a bulletin board. You nailed stuff to the church doors, and, um, and he, he starts getting in this argument with the Catholic Church, and eventually all the way up to the Pope, the head of the Catholic Church. And eventually, Pope Leo X, in 1520, says, hey, you know what? You've got to recant all these things, or I'm going to kick you out of the church. Excommunicated is the big word for that. And so eventually, he is excommunicated, and he's condemned to death as an outlaw by the Pope and by the Holy Roman Emperor. And from there, he flees, and there's a lot of stuff that happens, and eventually you end up with him as being the major figure in the Protestant Reformation, and specifically the Magisterial Reformation. Martin Luther was a guy who was all about grace, which is good. We all could use some, some grace in our lives. And one of his big arguments was that, hey, you cannot do enough good works to make God love you. Instead, God loves us because of the grace given by Jesus Christ. It's by faith alone through Christ alone that we are saved not by the things that we do. So he's arguing that, you know what, you could, you could fast every morning. You could give to the poor. You could keep all things from yourself, but without Jesus, it's not enough. And so if we have a prayer today from Martin Luther, it's all about grace. In fact, he, his first couple of, two, I think it's two words in, he's using the word gracious about God. And let's read this together. He says, Oh, gracious God, I am fully aware that I am unworthy. I deserve to be a brother of Satan and not of Christ. But Christ, your dear Son, died and rose for me. I am his brother. He earnestly desires that I should believe in him without doubt and fear. I need no longer regard myself as unworthy and full of sin. For this I love and thank him from my heart. Praise be to the merciful Savior, for he is so gracious and merciful, as are you and the Holy Spirit in eternity. Amen. So today we're going to consider this prayer, which I really think is a great one, and we're going to kind of juxtapose it with something that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome. And so here Martin Luther is talking about a trade. He's talking about that, hey, you know what? I deserve, what I deserve, what I've earned for myself is to be a brother of Satan. Satan is the deceiver, the evil one, the enemy of God. But by grace, I'm the brother of Christ. Now, Martin Luther's a guy, right? So he's writing brother. If you're in here and you're not a guy, which a good percentage of you are not, sister of Christ, you can just replace that in your head. It's okay. And I love some of the, phrase, the phrases he uses in here where he talks about that 
Jesus' desire is that we believe in him without doubt or fear. And that we don't have to regard ourselves as unworthy. It's a trade. When we trade and we become a brother or a sister of Christ, we don't have to regard ourselves as unworthy. Instead, we, we, get, to reg- we get to regard ourselves as being positionally where Jesus is. And so let's read Romans 15 through 18 here. This was written 1,500-ish years before Martin Luther. But Paul says this, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that is now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. So you see some very similar language in here. That, you know, there's stuff that we deserve but because of grace, we get, we get something different. We made a trade. When we believe in Jesus, we trade being slaves to sin to being slaves of righteousness. So we want to explore this trade, this idea that we're, we're, no, we're no longer on the side of, of evil, and instead we've gone to the side of Christ. Because of that, we're no longer slaves to our sinful nature. Instead, we're slaves to righteousness. So we want to explore this trade. What does it mean to be a brother or a sister of Christ? What does it mean? And so the first one, we just said it, we are slaves to righteousness and obedience. Obedience and righteousness. Put that up there. Now, in my gut, Something sounds a little, a little wrong about that. Because I was a slave to sin, and now I'm, I'm free, but we're still using the word slave. We're, sla- we're slaves to righteousness, but I don't particularly think that sounds fun. But it means something a little different, and we're going to get into that. But he definitely describes it. Paul uses the word slaves over and over again when he says, what then? Shall we sin because we're under the law, but under not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. And so Paul is starting off this little passage in Romans 6. And he's writing this peep, some real people in a real church 2,000 years ago. And he's arguing with them a little bit. And he's saying, hey, you know what? You might think that because of grace, that now you can just kind of do whatever you want. And he says, shall we sin? Shall we, shall we do these wrong things that Jesus told us not to do because we know that there's forgiveness for it? And Paul says, by no means. Uh-uh. No, yet, don't, stop. We have the grace of Jesus which covers our sins, 
but Paul is making certain in, in just very direct terms that we cannot let that be an excuse to continue to live the way that we used to live before Jesus. And just be like, no, well, I'm forgiven. Paul says, by no means. And he goes on to explain a little bit why, as he's basically telling these people 2,000 years ago who were continuing to sin, even though they're in Christ, to stop it. And maybe today, you're a little bit like me, and you need to hear that. Because that is, I think, one of the easiest things in our faith to do. To become complacent, because we know we're forgiven. And so we let that, that habit, that hang up, that, that thing that we're doing that we know isn't okay, and we say, well, but there's grace for that. And I say to myself, well, there's grace for that, it's not that big of a and Paul looks at us in the eyes through 2,000 years in this letter, and he says, stop it. Because you get to choose your trade. You get to choose. We can either be slaves to sin and death, or we can be slaves to obedience and righteousness. And if we're a brother, a sister of Christ, we're called to be slaves to obedience and to righteousness. So this word slave is a fun Greek word, doulos. The first definition there is the obvious one. What's, what's this mean? It's a slave. It's a bondman. It's a man of servile condition. But this also in the New Testament starts to be used in different ways as one who gives themselves up to another's will, to those whose service is used by Christ in extending or advancing his cause among men. And I think this is almost the, the truest definition of a slave to Christ here, which is someone who is devoted to another, and the another is Christ, to the disregard of one's own interests. If we're a slave to obedience, to righteousness, then we're devoted to Christ and his way of living, and his way of being, and the kingdom of God, in complete disregard of what we want for ourselves. That's hard. <laughs> I don't know about you, but there's lots of times where, where I want what I want. And to say, I'm going to completely disregard my own interests for the sake of Christ is a lifelong challenge. But I can't let that lifelong challenge be an excuse for complacency. By no means. We are in a servile condition to Christ. Because one way or another, we're choosing one. We're choosing which one we're going to be. And our challenge today, if we are a brother or sister of Jesus, is to remember that he earnestly desires that I should believe in him without doubt or fear. And in that, when we believe in that way, and we don't have any fear, then it frees us up to realize that whatever Jesus is asking us to give up, 
we're really not giving anything up. Instead, what we're doing is we're gaining everything in him. And it comes into verse 17, and I think this gives a lot of good context of how this is really supposed to work. If we're a brother or sister of Christ, then we obey from our hearts. This whole thing where we're choosing, instead of being slaves to sin, to be slaves to obedience and righteousness, this comes not from any sort of rote religious thing we do, but it comes from fear. And Paul says in 6.17, But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you've now come to obey. That obedience comes up again. But we obey from our heart. The pattern of teaching which has now claimed your allegiance. You see, Christianity is a heart-based practice. It's a heart-based practice. Religion, if you'll pardon the term. Paul says later in Romans, when he talks about, hey, what, what do I have to do to be saved? What do I have to do to have eternal life? He says, that, hey, if you, can, you have to confess with your mouth. You have to believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you'll be saved. There's no amount of rote practice that will save you. And we've tried to come up with ways to do it throughout the years. Well, maybe if I can just, you know, I'll, I'll get baptized and I'll take communion and I'll pray certain prayers and, you know, indulgences come into this in church practice. I'm going to find all this stuff I can do so that God will love me and so that I can get out of hell and get into heaven. Get my eternal get out of jail free card. But Paul cuts it down to its core that if you're no longer a slave to sin and you're a slave to obedience and to righteousness, that only happens in your heart. Only happens in your heart. And I came up with a stupid little rhyme to make you remember this. If you want to win it, your heart's got to be in it. Thank you. Thank you. At least I know I'm being cheesy when I come up with those, right? Whatever it is in your life, and there's something. There's something. There's, there, there's something that you do on a regular basis that you know is wrong, you know is sin. And I'm not going to name a whole bunch. I mean, we already took the offering, so I guess I could. Because even as I say this, your, your heart's telling you, I'm, this is what I'm doing right now that I'm not supposed to be doing. And we could go back to whatever that is. If you're a slave of Christ, well, then you're devoted to him. And, and you've got to completely disregard your own interests. Whatever is making you hold on to that thing, in your heart you've got to go, oh, Jesus is better. Whatever Jesus has for me is better. If you want to break free from sin, 
you want to be a slave to obedience and to righteousness, you have to obey Jesus, not from any kind of get-out-of-hell-free card, not from any kind of religious obligation, but it all has to come from your heart because you realize, oh man, I love Jesus so much because he came for me, he died for me, and he rose from the dead for me so that I could have eternal life and so that I could be a part of the kingdom of God advancing in the world until the end of the age with the resurrection of the dead. It's all from your heart. And if your heart's in it, then you can start going forward and saying, I, can, I need to break free of these sins. I need to be accountable to people. I need to listen when somebody tells me I'm screwing up and not just tell them to get out of here. Because the, the whole thing where, where we, we, in our own selves, we, we hate sin and we want to be righteous comes from that relationship with Jesus, which starts with, through faith and through, our, through believing in our heart. And it's a process, right? I don't know if I've met very many people or any people who I could go to and say, man, could you teach me? Because you're completely free from sin in this life. Maybe you did it before, but now you're done. You've made it. You're, you are sinless all the time. You're in traffic, and you're just like, oh, I love all these people. Oh, thank you for cutting me off. Oh, why wouldn't you drive up the, 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 the side of the And that's the meaning of life. <laughs> if you're on Facebook, you missed that. Sorry. Sorry, my bad. On the recording, you missed that. Sorry. Should have come to church. It's all from our heart. Whatever that thing is in your life, if you don't hate it, check your heart. Check your heart. Where am I at with Jesus? What am I doing to know Jesus? It's always from the heart. And this is our final thing today. If we're a brother or sister of Jesus, to remember, our slavery actually means that we're free. And that's why I like to kind of dig into the definition of that word, that it's really all about us surrendering to Jesus and saying that what I want is unimportant and what Jesus wants is everything. Because Paul says this in verse 18, in the context of being slaves of righteousness, he says, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Because the kingdom of God is always upside down from what we think it should be. We read the Beatitudes this morning where it talks about, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Well, it sure doesn't seem like that. It seems like the obnoxious inherit the earth. Man, the kingdom of God is always upside down. If we want to be set free, we have to become a slave. And Martin Luther, in his prayer, writes, I, I need no longer to regard myself as unworthy and full of sin. Because when we're slaves to Christ, we find freedom. And sometimes we think that we're finding freedom and continuing to do what we want to do. We think we've found freedom 
and saying, you know what, God, you've said to do this, but I'm going to do that because I just kind of want to do my own thing. And we think we're exerting our free, our free will. And God can't tell me what to do. What we're actually doing is we're wrapping ourselves up in chains. We're wrapping ourselves up in, in chains of sin and bondage. And we think, we think we're going to somehow get something. We're going to miss out on something. That God's keeping us from something good. You know, my old my old pastor back in California, you know, pastors say cheesy things. This is, it's a cheesy one, but it's true that it's sin will keep you longer than you wanted to stay, and it's going to cost you more than you wanted to pay. Because Paul warns us in another part of one of his letters that the the wages of sin, death. We think, we think, we think we're finding freedom and doing our own thing, but we are actually slaves to sin and death. If I could quote, maybe you've seen Return of the Jedi. If you haven't, what's wrong with you? That classic moment that became a, a meme where Admiral Ackbar says, It's a trap! Sin is a trap. What's Trapping you. What's keeping you as a brother, as a sister of Christ, from everything that Jesus has for you in this life? Because today may be the day to check your heart and to say, Jesus, I need to take these next steps with you so that I can live this life in every way that you want me to live it so that I can break free of my bondage and find freedom in slavery.